Well, uh, have you ever played Snakes and Ladders? Yes, no, some. Um, If you land on the head of a snake, you you have to go right back down uh, and start again to its tail. Uh, And if you land on uh, the bottom of a ladder, you you get a free ride up to the top. Uh, It's a very simple, simple game. Um, Essentially, I think snakes are a curse and ladders are a blessing. And, uh, and I think Psalm 1 is a little bit like that. It has snakes that can take you down to the pit of hell and ladders that, you can, that can take you right up into the, uh, into the winner's circle in the game of life. Now we may need to explain what that winning looks like a little bit later. The first word in Psalm 1 is a positive one, isn't it? Blessed or blessed. Uh, we all want it, don't we? We want to be blessed. It suggests that we'll receive favour that is beyond our control. It suggests favour that we haven't earned and we don't deserve. A blessing is something that we would never reject and and is synonymous with with how God treats us. And and so things come to mind like his love and his mercy and his grace. But someone would suggest that being blessed is in our control to some degree. Because it says that we should actively avoid snakes and seek out ladders. It actually really refers to one snake and it comes under the heading of the wicked. Uh, Don't walk with the wicked, stand with sinners or sit with the mockers. The, The inference is that if you spend time with the wrong people you will become like them and eventually pay a heavy price. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? Well, am I the only one? Um, Well, we've watched people we love go there. You get involved with the wrong crowd and before you know it, you you take on what what they, they believe, what their values are, their worldview or at least you start to, it's very hard to maintain your deep core beliefs when you're surrounded by people who who believe and think and act differently. Um, that's part of the reason why we, <laughs> we protect our children in their formative years. We, we, we control, who, to some extent, who they... We become helicopter parents almost, as wrong as that may be, because they're, they're so easily influenced by... By those around them. Part of the reason we come to church or we belong to a church is to be surrounded by like-minded people who love God and want to see his kingdom grow. In an increasingly hostile world, we come to see that we're not the only ones left, like Elijah thought. Remember, I'm the only one, Lord. No, you're not Elijah. I've preserved a remnant that will not bow the knee to other gods. But is someone calling us to be monks who sort of bunker down and and never enter into society? Don't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. In other words, cut yourself off from from this evil world. Don't have anything to do with those who deny Jesus. Is that what it's saying? 
Wouldn't that go against the, the calling to take the gospel to the nations, to share the good news with those who most need to hear it? How do you love the wicked if you don't relate to them? How do you love your neighbour if you never seek to walk or stand or sit with them? Maybe Jesus can help us out here. In John 17, when talking about his disciples, he said this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I don't think someone is saying anything different. Don't be of this world. Don't belong to it. Don't walk in step with it. Don't, Don't stand in the way of it. Don't sit for too long with those who mock God. But that doesn't prevent us from being in the world in order to communicate the truth. We just need to be wearing of falling in love with the world. This world is no longer our home. The bottom line, loving the world leads to destruction. So if you want to be blessed, avoid the path that is wide and leads to destruction. Instead, follow a different path, a narrow one. In fact, the the one, maybe take the ladder described in verse 2. Blessed is the one, from verse 1, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. We'll keep that verse up there if that's okay for a while. You want to be blessed? You want to prosper? You want to escape judgment? You want to stand forever in the assembly of the righteous? Then just do one thing. Delight in the law of the Lord. If you delight in his law, you will want to meditate on it day and night. Or maybe if you you meditate on it day and night, you will delight in it. But I do just need to sort of raise a couple of caveats at this point. Uh, the word prosper in verse 4 brings up the idea of prosperity doctrine. You know, um, health and wealth, as long as you have enough faith. But I, I sort of, and I think the Old Testament did really refer to material wealth, but I think in the New Testament it's been nuanced a little, uh, to, more to spiritual prosperity. The tree planted by streams of water yields spiritual fruit in season, which provides sustenance on every occasion. We enjoy spiritual blessings on offer now and build up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. To seek prosperity now is to spiritually invest in God's eternal kingdom. The second caveat is that I don't want to mislead you into thinking that our salvation, our eternal salvation is linked to how much we delight in the Lord. 
as though it is now up to us. It's God who saves and by delighting in him we are reaffirming our decision to trust in Jesus as our saviour. We're not just choosing to follow Jesus with our heads but we're choosing with our hearts. We're we're responding with our heart. Delighting in him is an, an emotional is an emotional response to what he has done on the cross. So we delight because he has already saved us. And it doesn't take long before the Psalms introduce us to the Son. Psalm 2 was originally seen as part of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 starts with blessed is the one and Psalm 2 finishes with blessed are all who take refuge in him. Who is the him? Well, at the very beginning of the last verse of Psalm 2, it says, kiss the son. So Psalm 2 verse 12, kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your, dis- and your, way will lead to your destruction. So his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The whole of Psalm 2 refers to God's Son, the one who will come to judge the nations and bless those and save those who take refuge in him. Salvation comes from the Son and he is the one in whom we find delight. Have you ever got to that point in your relationship with God, Father, Son and Spirit? You can't wait to be in his presence because he is your delight, your pleasure. Is that where you are? In Psalm 27, David says this, King David, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Can you identify with David here? I admit that I want to, but could I actually say that? I'm not sure that I'm where David is, but I must admit I want to I think I want to be. Why isn't gazing upon the beauty of the Lord the only thing on my bucket list? Is it even there at all? You know, there's no doubt that David delighted in being the presence of his Lord. All throughout the Psalms, you see it comes, the theme keeps coming up. Uh, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I delight in your decrees for your law is my delight. And when we talk about the law, of course, it's synonymous with the sun, isn't it? John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was, was with God and the word was God. To delight in the word is to delight in the sun so is Jesus your primary delight and if he's not who or what is sometimes being with other people is a delight for us isn't it what about food certain foods are a delight I know that that David Burge 
just loves those um, Mongolian yak brains. If you, if, you, uh, if you happen to find any in the, in the local supermarket, please t share them with him. Take some over. Leave them at his front door. I'd go something more with mangrove worms or, um, or, or even just natural oysters. They're my delight. A myriad of pleasures await us in this world and we chase after them because our brains are addicted to them. When we engage in certain pleasurable experiences, uh, the brain releases a hormone called dopamine. And this creates a pleasurable sensation. So we start, we, we, we crave after this dopamine release and anything that, that causes it. Um, we literally become addicted to the activity that will bring us a dopamine reward. And everybody does it, whether we're aware of it or not. It might be shopping, reading a book, watching a movie, playing golf, fast driving, eating chocolate, risky behaviour, taking drugs, looking at pornography. What is it for you? What is it that produces copious amounts of dopamine in your brain? What is your drug of choice? Because I want to suggest opening up a new dopamine pathway if you haven't already. Some people will be already down this path. Is it possible that we, as we spend time with our Lord, we can actually begin to look forward to that time? Can we grow into delight? We do it with other people, don't we? You, you know, people grow on you. You don't just have this amazing delight first time you meet them, or maybe you did when you met your wife or husband uh, on that first occasion. But, but most people, well, so for some of the people we delight in, it takes time. And, and, God, and God's the same. Through his word and prayer and meditation, we grow in understanding and trust and love and willingness to meet with him. You can actually op open up a new dopamine pathway that is spiritually initiated. I, I found this on the internet, so it must be, must be true. Uh, regardless of what you believe, spiritual experiences have been observed creating physical and chemical responses in the brain, in the human brain. Finding a way to connect with the universe or a higher power releases dopamine, the neurotransmitter responsible for pleasure and reward. See, there it is in black and white. As Christians, we want to say there's only one higher power worth connecting to, but the point is, the more you chase after pleasure by being in the presence of God, the more your brain will respond in a positive way. David would not have heard of dopamine. King David would not have heard of dopamine. But he knew the experience. He knew the pleasure of gazing upon his beauty, of being in close relationship with his Lord. Now, this also means we need to be careful of the other things in our life that bring us pleasure. 
They're not necessarily wrong until they take the place of God. It's not a sin to take pleasure in God's creation. But do we go to those things for comfort and pleasure at the expense of our, of our relationship with the Creator? Do we worship the creation before the Creator? It's always worth reflecting on these things and at least being aware of the dangers. But let's return to the idea of verse 2 being in, in, some, in someone being a ladder. The ladder is firmly implanted in one particular word, delight. And if you can get the notion of delight in God sorted, I think the ladder goes all the way up to Psalm 150. In, in the six short verses in Psalm 150, the explicit command to praise God occurs 13 times. You read half of them. Well, six or seven, I'm not sure. But the psalmist isn't writing it as a command. He's expressing it as, as a response, the only appropriate response when we delight in him. When you delight in something, you will naturally sing its praises. You'll want to talk about it. Think about this, the skier in winter or the, the surfer, the avid surfer all year round, or, or, or the pilot as, as he's just completed his first solo flight. If, you've ne if you're never praising anything or anyone, are, are you delighting? Have you forgotten how to delight in anything or anyone? What we can't wait to do, we also can't wait to talk about. If we delight in God, we will find ourselves in the midst of Psalm 150 unceasingly praising and glorifying him. Jonathan Edwards, a famous 18th century author, preacher, said this, the happiness of the creature consists in rejoicing in God, by which also God is magnified and exalted. God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. In other words, the two ideas go hand in hand, don't they? Rejoicing and delighting in God is simultaneously exalting, praising, magnifying and glorifying God. Psalm 1 and Psalm 150 go together, joined by an invisible ladder. Now, the ladder doesn't necessarily mean that we don't read the rest of the Psalms. Um, we still need to journey with them in the midst of lament and heartache, and at times our lament and heartache. But the faster we can understand the link between delight and praise, the more blessing we will receive, the more blessing we will give, and the faster God will be glorified. Can I say that again? The, 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 if, we, if we get this link between Psalm 150, the link between 
between um, delight and praise, the faster the, or the more we will be, be um, blessed, blessed, the more blessing we will be able to give and the more God will be glorified. And could this be a, a, a really good outreach strategy as well? Uh, what if others saw our delight and, and the delight that Jesus brings into our life? Sometimes we can't intellectually convince people that Jesus is a saviour, but, but could we make an impression emotionally? Your passion would, could be the most compelling thing to, to someone who doesn't believe. Your story is the most significant thing for those uh, who, who, who know you. And if you're, a believe, if you're not a believer here today, please take the time to listen to the story of those who delight in Jesus. They're, they're not perfect. They haven't got all the answers. But they will have a story worth listening to. Their life is changed for all of eternity because of one relationship. The Westminster Catechism asks, what is man's chief end? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm sure you all know that. Now, at the risk of offending everybody here, if there is a, if there is a, a, a ladder from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, maybe we could say man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. I hope that's not offensive. That, that means that pursuing pleasure and delight in God is our highest calling. We are virtually commanded to find our greatest pleasure in him. Could that be a, a reasonable New Year's resolution for you? Personally, I think I'm lacking in delight generally. I, I don't know whether it's my age or what I've, I'm, not, I'm not sure what's, what's at the bottom of it, but I know if I start at the right point, if I can dis discipline myself this year to spend quality time with Jesus at the beginning of every day, then that discipline will turn into delight. It's happened before and it will happen again. And I'm a little bit excited about 2024. How about you? Can you resolve to delight in your Lord? to gaze upon his beauty. Could Jesus be your drug or dopamine pathway of choice for 2024?